0: Welcome back everybody to the CHC podcast. My name is Chase Marable, joined by my co-host. My name is Dawson Nemo. Thanks for joining us today. And we are here today with a personal friend of mine, a college student uh, that I was with at Missouri State University, and also just an incredible individual, Caleb Newby with AmWins. Caleb, thanks for joining this morning.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about FTCA, the Federal Tort Claims Act. We're going to talk about what was that act, uh, how does it apply to federally qualified health centers, and then look at some unique coverages that is called FTCA GAP. Uh, medical malpractice, and really what can we do as an FQHC with FTCA, and how do we leverage that best in our organization? And what do we need to be fully protected? But before we get into any of that, Caleb, why don't we start off with your background? Tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you're at, and kind of your journey to where you're at today.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I was a uh, college student with Chase Marables at uh, Missouri State University. Um, one of the rare cases that I actually studied insurance, I had a finance background, um, and shortly after I graduated, I've been in the wholesale space my entire career doing professional management and healthcare liability. Um, so I started at RT Specialty in Kansas City, I was there for about six years, um, and I recently moved out to Denver, um, opened up a new office with Amwins, um, kind of focusing on a lot of healthcare, which is where I Work with Chase the most on, but, um, but yeah. So everything, professional management, healthcare, including the FTCA class of business that uh, we've been quite successful
0: on. Awesome. And then whenever you look at what you're doing now for Amwins, it's it's a little bit more than just FTCA. So you're looking at professional li- lines. What 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 are some of those professional lines at Amwins?
1: Yeah. So any licensed professional where you do a service for a third party for a fee, and there may be um, insurance coverage if there is an event where you create an error or a mission in that service, and there's a third party that is financially uh, impacted. So you're thinking architects, engineers, um, insurance people, contractors, um, pretty much all licensed professionals. On the management liability side, it's everything that... Uh, you can get sued for, for the decisions you make or how you run your business. So DNO, EPL, if you run a retirement plan, fiduciary coverage, crime, cyber tech. Uh, There's a lot of miscellaneous coverages that fall within the pro exec bucket. And then um, healthcare is definitely one within that space. So allied healthcare, uh, you know, high level providers, all types of facilities, so pretty much anything that's uh tough to place that's uh maybe a wholesale play
0: okay i love it and i see you all over the country working with healthcare accounts in those spaces uh sometimes the the harder to place ones and sometimes the fqhcs wanting the ftca wrap coverage so uh that's a perfect segue into let's just start off with what what is the federal tort claims act what what is the ftca
1: yeah so the ftca um 1946 Federal Tort Claims Act um, is basically waived immunity um, for acts or admissions by federal employees. Um, So with the Johnson administration, there was kind of a war on poverty and his administration combated inadequate access to medical treatment by bringing forth community health centers. And the uh, vast majority of those health centers uh, Their primary mechanism is federal grants, which is still true to CHCs today, but um, basically FTCA is medical malpractice um, protections for federal employees, which community health centers fall into that bucket as long as they um, go through the deeming and the proper steps to get deemed.
0: So so FTCA was really created as the as the medical malpractice or the the coverage, if you will, for federal employees, Uh, you know, if if a mistake were to happen during their medical treatments, uh, then the federal government would take care of that defense and take care of that coverage. Uh, And because community health centers receive their funding from the federal government, then they're classified in that bucket. Is that is that how I'm understanding it?
1: yeah so there was a couple other legislative acts um, so they had the um, they had let's say there was a um, the federally supported health center assistance act which um, also extended the ftca protections uh, for eligible health centers which there's a list of eligible centers but, um, but yeah basically as long as they go through the proper steps, rather than have the, like a private counsel defend those claims, it's actually the Department of Justice that does that.
0: Wonderful. So that is the backbone of the coverage for medical malpractice for community health centers. Now, as, as we both know, there's some gaps in that coverage, and we'll, we'll get to that later on, on what FQHC can do to protect that. Um, but before we do that, you know, the FTCA was, was as you mentioned, the legislation that uh, allow that coverage to be extended to community health centers. Uh, what are some of the benefits of that coverage? What are some of the benefits of FTCA for community health centers?
1: Yeah, so I think the whole um, idea behind extending FTCA protections to CHCs is to reduce the operating cost. Um, you know, these clinics basically provide um, health care safety nets for the nation's most vulnerable and underserved populations. So the whole idea is to kind of help pick up some of that burden, decrease insurance premiums for these types of facilities.
0: Okay. So it was started to really help the operating budget for the community health centers. That way they're not having to pick up the premium for a malpractice policy, essentially. Correct. Wonderful. And when we look at FQHCs who fall under this, uh, are there any requirements for them to make sure that they are being covered by FTCA in the event of a claim?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like as as long as they file the proper paperwork, there are four requirements. Um, it has to be a deemed facility, which means they have to file um, you know paperwork and everything every year annually. It has to be a deemed service. Um, certain services are not going to be picked up within the FTCA protections. Mm-hmm the deemed patient and the deemed provider. Um, and even there's a lot of different ways that uh, coverage may be able to kind of slip through the cracks, especially as these uh, facilities grow. So one example is there's no GL or SML coverage through the FTCA and the FTCA deemed providers also have to work full time. So even if there is a way, um, even if a deemed provider cover would coverage would apply, um, if they're not working full time, then it's no longer deemed. So there's a lot of different kind of moving pieces, um, which is why we typically try to have another policy in place as a backbone to pick that up.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned SML and GL. What what do those stand for?
1: Yeah, so it's sexual misconduct liability. Um, so any type of allegation related to um, any sexual misconduct At the facility and then gl would be general liability
0: wow so what you're saying is that if if our health centers do not if there's a situation where all four of those requirements are aren't met a deemed service deemed facility deemed provider deemed patient if one of those aren't met then the ftca is not going to provide that coverage and and there's got to be another spot for that coverage to be provided
1: Correct. Yeah, there's different products out there to uh, help address those coverage gaps.
0: Wonderful. And before we get into that, uh, Dawson, you you work with some FQHCs that may have services outside of what's deemed. Um, when it comes to mind, I I may think <clears throat> of uh, maybe a provider helping deliver a pregnancy at a hospital, maybe mm-hmm. the Samaritan coverage, maybe uh, DOT physicals, maybe ACUP. There's so many things. Um, you know, if I'm a health center and I am working with my patients and working with my community, sometimes there's just healthcare needs in my population that come up that I'm providing that that may not be deemed, right? Um, so I think we see that more often than not. When we look at FTCA and we're not having a deemed service, but yet yeah, we we know it's not deemed. How how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect ourselves if one of our services, one of our providers is conducting a service for a patient that may not be deemed? And then we have a claim come up and FTCA does not cover that claim because it does not meet one of those four requirements. How do we protect ourselves in that case, Caleb?
1: Yeah, so I think every facility is different, right? Um, a lot of times, um, you know, they're not always 100% deemed as far as the services they're providing, or they may have some part-time providers on on payroll. Um, so I think a lot of it is just uh, knowing the exposure. So isolating what exposures are deemed, what exposures are not, uh, because any deemed service where there's likely going to be FTCA protection is going to have um, a heavy credit on the insurance premium end of things. So um, having it rated properly, um, knowing what is not deemed to know and ensure that there's proper coverage in place in the event that there is a claim arising out of those non-deemed exposures is gonna be huge uh, because every facility seems very different, you know, and uh, before they get deemed, they may have services that would ordinarily qualify. Um, They call it an FTCA look-alike. So basically they don't have the FTCA protections yet, but um, they're in the process of getting everything in order to have those protections. So in the meantime, um, it's crucial to have proper coverage in place and make sure that you know if a claim does occur, that there is you know protections for that.
0: Absolutely. And when we look at lookalikes, there's there's quite a few of them. And what we're what we're explaining is that if they are a lookalike trying to get deemed status, trying to to be in a official FQHC. Um, throughout that process while they're filing the paperwork and and getting deemed uh, they're not covered under FTCA. So they need to make sure that they're covering their providers and nurses underneath a malpractice policy. And then if I am a FQHC, it's very common to say, hey, FTCA is what provides us the coverage. We don't need anything else. Uh, Or they have a full on medical malpractice policy that is not excluding any of the FTCA-covered services, and it's costing them a lot of money in premium, that is is not something that they need to be purchasing, right? So when we look at those two scenarios, let's start with the first one. If I'm an FQHC and I do not have a policy in place because I believe the FTCA will cover all of my uh, claims and coverages, what's sounding like is that that may be leaving that provider and that FQHC up for some extreme exposure if they're relying on the FTCA to cover everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, just relying on FTCA, as we talked about, you know, there's certain requirements for um, the Department of Justice to pick up that claim. Mm -hmm. So a lot of potential claims can slip through the cracks that way. Um, So I would always say that it's always safer to have that backstop policy in place. Yes. And the specific thing with the FTCA wrap is it has the wording um, to specifically route the claim, you know, it's going to exclude claims arising out of the FTCA, because if uh, if there's other insurance in place, the government also will likely not pick it up. So having that proper wording to route the claim to, um, you know, the DOJ to pick up or in certain instances kick in when they won't pick it up otherwise uh, is kind of the key to the FTCA rap product. It's going to have tailored wording for these types of facilities, um, you know, to ensure that proper claims handling in you know deemed or non-deemed instances.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's a great segue into the FQHCs that have a full-on medical malpractice policy that is not FTCA specific. For those FQHCs that policy may not exclude FTCA claims thus when a claim happens that policy may have to pick up first if the federal government realizes that we have this policy out here that could be the primary payer where the federal government should be paying that claim underneath FTCA. Um, So we see exposure both ways if we don't have a policy or if we do but if we do a policy it's, it's a great backstop but it may lead to some claims that we we really shouldn't be paying for as an FQHC.
1: Yeah. And the, the, the highlight of the FTCA wrap is that um, it's structured properly for this instance of having another party potentially picking it up. Because if you just have a regular med mal policy in place and every claim the insurance company pays out, is gonna, um, you know, show up on all your loss runs. It's going to drive up premium. And it's going to de-stress the account essentially.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to show up on claims that that really shouldn't be showing up underneath that FQHC. It should be going to the FTCA to be handled and covered. You know, is there anything else that an FQHC should know about the FTCA, about medical malpractice, before we go into how, how to access an FTCA gap policy? Is there anything else an FQHC should know about the FTCA?
1: Um, I mean, as there's different ways to structure the MedMal policy. Um, the FTCA products are going to have, you know, all the tailored wording for the government to pick up claims that they should. Um, but like I said, each each facility is very different. So as long as the allied, the higher skilled and the um, entity coverage, you know, is there and you kind of understand which exposures you're looking to pick up, um, you know, that's kind of the key is structuring it and tailoring it to the each facility.
0: Absolutely, and each facility will be different based off the services that they're offering. So if I'm hearing you correctly, something that I should do if I'm a CMO or CFO in the facility is really understand the services I'm providing and then what is deemed underneath FTCA, and then what is a non-deemed service, is that correct?
1: Correct, yeah, that's huge.
0: And then understanding if it's a not deemed, we need to make sure we're picking up that coverage if it is deemed, we need to make sure we pick up the gaps of that coverage. Yep. So if I'm a community health center watching this podcast this morning and, you know, I, I, I'm either in the case where I, I don't have another policy, we're just relying on FTCA, or I do have a policy, but it's a full malpractice policy and it's not really designed for community health centers, you know, who should I talk to about accessing an FTCA wrap policy. How do I go about either getting a proposal for that or just having a policy review for my own policies?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a good starting point is, uh, finding a, you know, a retail broker that is, um, you know, that is specialized in the space kind of knows this class of business, um, and knows the proper channels to be able to access those FTCA tailored products. Um, they're going to know kind of, you know, what, Different, you know, submission requirements, which may be different than any other class of business. Yep. They're going to know which markets to go to to approach. Um, as the more non-deemed services, kind of, you know, sometimes these facilities grow; they start providing, you know, additional services outside of the FTCA. They're going to know how to, uh, you know, address those exposures and structure a policy specific to that facility.
0: Absolutely. So, finding an insurance broker understands the industry, understands the mitch and then conducting that policy review as you just talked about through that. Um, and then lastly, I you just mentioned something I want to make sure we address. Uh, the submission requirements for an FTC wrap is is quite different than other other uh, other submission requirements. we we always mention the UDS form and applications, but what what else would an FQHC mm-hmm. need to make sure they have on hand for that submission? Yeah,
1: so there's some uh, FTCA tailored um, applications, which is going to help kind of identify the non-deemed versus deemed exposures, um, the physician rosters, the loss runs, obviously, uh, they have the deeming letter that they have to you know provide to be FTCA qualified annually. Uh, as you mentioned, the UDS report there's also some uh, some other forms specific to FTCAs. It's called like the forms 5A, 5B, and 5C. But uh, yeah, those are going to be a little different than some of the other submission requirements for other types of healthcare facilities.
0: Absolutely. So if I have those forms, I find an insurance broker that understands the industry, I should be in a very good spot to at least see some options for FTCA gap coverage. Absolutely. And- Caleb, what, you know, how are how are the policy, a little more technical, how are the policies rated? Are they rated off of revenue, number of providers, all kinds of different things? Like what's the common way that you see it being rated? And is it, is there a, a kind of standard GL policy? There's a rate per the class code and, and that's kind of your rough premium. Is it rate by provider? How, how are you guys doing that? So, um, like I
1: said, whenever there's like different, um, like there's different physicians, sometimes they have their own coverage. So it really Mm -hmm. depends on the physician roster, the, um, breakdown of the deemed services, which are going to have a heavy, um, credit, usually, um, Mm -hmm. the non deemed are just going to be rated as if, you know, there's no FTCA protections because there aren't, um, a lot of it is going to do the types of, um, You know, the visits, the annual Mm -hmm. visits, the breakdown of what different procedures they're offering. Um, so just the overall exposures, revenues, um, loss history is gonna be a consideration. And um, you know, whatever the current retro date is, it's gonna also factor in. So there's a number of different underwriting factors. But
0: um it's a lot more complicated than a standard GL trying to figure out. Yeah, it's a little. Complicated,
1: but uh, yeah. um, but yeah, as long as we can kind of be able to relay that information, we know the exposures, we know the services they're providing, we can negotiate that heavy, um, heavy credit on all the deemed services.
0: No, that's perfect. I was trying to understand the ballpark idea and and you know, sitting down with with executives and hey, what you know, what would I expect to look at? But it, it's really complicated,
1: yeah. It's just the overall exposures. Um, obviously, yeah. those deemed exposures are going to get a a lot um, cheaper credit on that. No, that's perfect, thank you.
0: And, and Caleb, something you mentioned is the physician roster, but but beyond that is the physicians that may have their own malpractice policy, because uh, then you'd have the FTCA, have their individual policy, and then we would have our policy as well for the health center. Um, so that's something that if I am a FQHC, I just need to keep track of if my physicians do have their own malpractice policy.
1: Yeah, and yeah, a lot of times I see providers, the higher scaled, um, they either have their own coverage or they have their own separate limits. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to be a provider and have an insurance policy in place. And one provider, you know, a claim arises out of another provider, blows through all the limits, and then essentially you can be left bare in that instance.
0: Absolutely. So making sure the providers each have their separate limits or at least enough limits to get through multiple claims if they were to happen in a certain year. Yep. Well, Caleb, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you joining this morning and giving your knowledge about FTCA, ftca wrap, what it is, how it's covered, and then finally where health centers can go in order to get proposals and look at options or just a general policy review for what they currently have in place. Uh, before we leave, is there anything else you'd like to mention today? Uh, Nothing
1: in particular. Definitely. uh, Thank you guys for having me. Um, You know, it's always great to catch up with, uh, you know, Chase and Dawson. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Well, Caleb, we really appreciate your time. And for everybody joining in, thank you so much for joining in. And thank you so much for listening to the next podcast.